There's a man who had four daughters and a wife. He loved music and having a good time, but he also loved drinking. And he didn't always treat his family well. He was a really good guitar player and singer. And so he would stay up late playing music at the local bar, come home at early hours in the morning, and uh, he would get into fights with his wife that his uh, four young daughters would sometimes witness. And uh, his wife was uh, pregnant at the time, and she became pregnant with their fifth daughter. Um, And when it came time for her to give birth, there was complications. The doctors came to the man and said, hey, I don't know if this daughter and your wife is going to make it through this pregnancy. And so he prayed and asked God, Lord, if you save my baby girl, I will change my life and become a pastor. I'll change everything if you do this. And the baby girl was born. The wife became healthy after her delivery. And he devoted his life to God and to pastoral work. The man followed through on his promise to God. He went to school to become a pastor and led a Baptist church where his daughters grew up for the rest of their lives, deeply involved in the church, singing songs for for the services. And while this was a huge transformation, not all was perfect in their household after this, right? But it was noticeably different and better for every single person in the family. And the first daughter, who was old enough to notice the largest amount of change, that young girl was my grandmother. Life wasn't perfect for them after my great-grandpa's come-to-Jesus moment. Um, but my, and my great-grandma um, will attest to this, as I've heard stories over the years. She was so frustrated at him for the longest time because he could give up drinking and smoking cold turkey. And it took her a while uh, to kind of struggle through that and, and get through it. So whenever I hear stories from my great-grandma um, as I was growing up, uh, that was what she always highlighted, um, which is pretty funny. But um, yeah, he was able to do a cold turkey, and, and she still struggled with that. But he still struggled as well, right? To be a good father, to be a good husband amidst this change that Jesus uh, sparked in his life. But there was a difference for the whole family. And because of that difference, my grandma came to know Jesus, which led my mom to grow up in a Christian home and ha- having those values that her, her grandmother, my grandmother, her mom, had. Um, and then when my mom grew up and married my dad— they shared those values um, when they w- were married, and they came together and, and created a family with me and my brothers. Um, so me and my two brothers also grew up with those family values, of, of Christian values. Our family stories shape who we are and what we believe, and it often shapes the kinds of values that we bring into our own family one day. Sometimes we push against these family values, right? Um, specifically if they're kind of pushed upon us, but the ones that deeply impact us for the better, specifically, stick with us. Those values really shape who we are. And we're in the second week of our series, Undivided, and how we can feel and often do bring different versions of ourselves uh, throughout our everyday life, right? At work, at home, with friends, how we see ourselves. And before we get into our main conversation this morning, let me pray for us. Lord God, we're grateful um, to, to all be here this morning. Um, we're thankful how you've designed family, that you've set it apart as a unique uh, set of relationships, that you have made us for community, uh, not to be alone, and that you've made us to be whole people um, in each of the relationships that we carry throughout our lives. So I pray as we talk about family this morning, Lord, that you would um, teach us one thing um, we can improve on, one thing that we can lean on you deeper for, Jesus, in our family relationships. Um, We thank you for your love, Jesus, and how it changes everything. Amen. So this morning we'll be talking about family. Who we are 
uh, impacts our families. And who our families are impact us, right? It's a lifelong journey to navigate these relationships. And uh, a quick note this morning, just to give us all some ease, we're not going to get into the weeds uh, of family trauma and sorting through like a, like a therapy session together. Um, that's not necessarily the side of family we're going to today. So we can all just take a pause, take a deep breath. We're not going there this morning. Although if some of those things are coming up right this morning as we talk, it's important to be aware of those things and uh, to, to grab a counselor, to, to find some support in those other ways. But this morning, um, I hope that God's desire for this theme of undivided family will nudge us to peel back at least one layer of the onion. And I really like this term, undivided. Um, it's where English translation gets this idea of Scripture being unified and together. Um, or as Jordan put it last week, not fragmented or broken. Um, and I really like this, this idea for us to sit with in, in the series as a whole. But another way to the English translation um, translates this idea in Scripture is wholehearted. And I remember in high school there was a, um, a few verses that really stood out to me in this translation of wholehearted in a specific place in Scripture really uh, stood out to me in a different way. And so for the sake of our talk this morning, I think it strikes a different kind of chord. And so I want to use that term this morning, wholehearted. And as I thought about this idea of family for myself, there's two kinds of family that come to mind. And I think we all have them, right? Blood family is the first, and chosen family is the second. Um, and so I have some pictures for us, Devin, if you want to hit the next slide, of my blood family. There it is. All right, so my blood family is my parents and me and my brothers, first and foremost, but also it's my extended family. So in the, in the picture you see over to the left is me and all my cousins. I think just a few are missing in that photo, but that was a more recent one. Um, and so growing up, we would hang out every Sunday at my grandparents' house. It kind of turned into every other Sunday after church. We'd go over there, have a meal, and we'd play uh, wiffle ball. Um, their, their tradition of, of Christianity was, was pretty heavy on Sabbath, and so we couldn't ride the quads around my parents. My grandparents lived right in front of a farm. So we were always bummed when we were younger and we didn't understand this idea of resting, right? We wanted to just ride the quads. Um, around the, the farm and, and goof around on the farm, but they made us kind of stay in the backyard. But we'd play wiffle ball. Um, we'd have a great time. We'd eat um, pork chops, steaks, whatever my grandpa was cooking up. So that was that, that side of the family. That's kind of us growing up. And on the other side, um, it's kind of us. Or sorry, go, go back again, Devin. No, sorry about that. Um, on the other side is um, my family uh, over Christmas. Uh, if you can see, my parents are on the lower side on the left side of that picture, and my, my oldest brother is in between them there. Um, and so that, I just remember that being a staple as well. Every Christmas, we'd get together with my extended family in the afternoon, and that, like for blood family, when I think of blood family, that's specifically what I think of, and the time we spent together. Um, my brothers are also another big part of my blood family. If you want to hit that next slide, Devin. Um, so this is me and my brothers. I'm in the middle. This is a photo we took at our wedding. It kind of became a thing for us to do that look off into the distance thing, like every single thing. And so my mom like got really attached to that. And she's like, you had to do your thing. So we had to do that for our, for our wedding photo as well. But these are two of my closest people in the whole world, right? Blood family that um, I just really respect. And sometimes, especially growing up, right, we'd get into disagreements, we'd fight, we'd bicker, but we'd always work it out. Um, and lastly is a, a photo of my whole family. I was taken a few years ago um, with Lauren added in. So you see Lauren in there as well. Um, and that's my parents with us as well. And that was taken a few years ago. 
when my older brother's beard uh, was trimmed down a little bit. Um, he's back to being really long. Um, so, and Lauren's added in there, which is a great transition to chosen family, right? When you get married, when you start a family, that sort of thing, um, that's kind of a step of chosen family, right? Where you choose someone to say, I'm going to spend the rest of this life with this person. We're going to build a family together that becomes blood family once you have kids. Um, and so my chosen family for me, um, kind of started with, uh, I went to a school that was K through 12th. And so we had a lot of really good friends that kind of stuck I've known them since kindergarten kind of thing. Um, and so we really stuck with them for a long time. Um, you want to hit the next slide for me, Devin? Um, and uh, this is some of those people. So the Millers, um, some of you might know Laren that goes here. Um, her family hosts Thanksgiving football every single Thanksgiving day. And so we'd go over there and play football. Um, and these are people that um, I grew up with uh, kind of throughout high school. And my older brother grew up with the older siblings throughout high school and stuff like that. Um, and just really, really close friends, kind of like the moms that you have from other, other families, right? And the next one is us in the Kettle Hut. So that's Hannah and Micah over on the left, and they are really close. Uh, my parents are really close with their parents, and uh, we spend vacations with them, um, time with them, and uh, just kind of become a second family, right? So there's these two ideas of chosen family and blood family. And chosen family um, those who aren't biologically related to us, but by a range of circumstances, we become really close, and there's a lot of impact over a longer period of time. And that's actually the kind of relationship we're going to focus on today between Paul and Timothy in Scripture. And we find this in the second chunk of the Bible that we call the New Testament. Um, and so if we can get our first Scripture up there, I'll read it for us. So this is in Acts 16, and um, Paul first goes to this town in Acts 14, and then he comes back, and we'll notice uh, why he comes back. Paul came to Derby and then Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in, in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So we see here, Paul wants to take Timothy along on his journey. And maybe Paul was going there for other reasons as well, but obviously this is highlighted, that Paul specifically, um, along his, his journey there in this uh, specific place, he picks up Timothy on his way and wants to bring him along on these journeys. And to help us understand Paul's relationship with Timothy, what better place to look than Paul's letters to Timothy, right? If we were going to understand, if I was going to understand your relationship with someone else, um, you could look at a letter, right? That letter is going to be different if it's to a romantic partner. That letter is going to be different if it's to a friend or a family member, right? Like you would pick up clues on who is this letter to? What is it about? What's the theme? Um, And so we have the opportunity and privilege to to have that between Paul and and Timothy here. Um, And so let's keep our eyes open as we think about um, what clues could come up. So kind of um, take your magnifying glasses out, if you, if you will, um, and kind of study what is the relationship like here between Paul and Timothy. So we can do that next slide for the next verse. 
To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urge you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. And if we go to the next one right away, a little farther on in kind of the same page, of this letter to Timothy. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and good conscience, which some have rejected and some have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. So twice, uh, Paul calls Timothy his son. And in the intro, he's telling Timothy to stay where he is and reminding him for the people to stay true to the teachings of Jesus and to not get distracted by other ideologies and ideas that quickly create arguments. That's some good fatherly advice right there, if you think about it. To paraphrase, right? Don't get caught up in stupid arguments. Stay true to the important stuff about Jesus. The second passage, Paul is affirming Timothy as well. He's reminding him of the prophecy spoken about Timothy to stay true to his faith and the work that God has invited him into. Let's pause for a second. Don't our hearts long for that type of affirmation from our own parents or parent roles, right? One, to affirm who we are, and two, to affirm what our purpose is. We long for that kind of affirmation that goes beyond just a single role in our life, whether it be being a mom, having a successful career, a certain level of education, No, our hearts long for a parent role in our lives who build us up, who remind us what we're seeking in our lives. No matter our past or what we're dealing with, we all need that kind of family relationship. God has a beautiful purpose in family, and this longing goes beyond just blood family and also into chosen family relationships. I don't know Timothy's relationship with his dad. It doesn't say, but I would assume that there was some really awesome fatherly moments that Paul offered Timothy. Paul goes on in another letter to Timothy, not just to remind him of his identity and purpose, but to invite him to model his life after Paul himself as he follows Jesus. So Paul shares the details in his own life story that Timothy probably knows much of, and then encourages Timothy to consider what he has been taught, not only taught, but also seen lived out. And this is a key shift in our family relationships, whether they're chosen or blood. So whether it's parenting, grandparenting, being an aunt or uncle, or being a mentor, the lifestyle we live influences the younger ones who live with us and around us. Those of you who have really young kids see that pretty easily, right? They start to pick up on on what you do pretty quickly. So I want to ask this question, do we as people learn more from instruction and hearing about something, or do we learn through how people live their lives? If you tell your kid, don't eat candy before dinner, but you're regularly eating sweets before dinner, what are they going to do? Think it's fine to eat sweets before dinner, right? You say one thing, but do another. If I tell my kids it's important to read and meditate on scripture often, but they rarely hear me sharing scripture, reading scripture, notice me talking with others about scripture and how it impacts my life. They won't believe that it's important. God has wired us for human connection with each other and we pick up on things from each other. 
It's a, it's a really, really beautiful thing in a lot of moments, and it also can be a really, really scary thing in other moments. I'm sure we all can think of things right now as we think about our family habits and history, um, whether it be your family growing up or your family now, if you have a family. Um, and there's things that we're glad we picked up on from our family, and there's also things that we don't love that we picked up from our families. So do we have a desire to be wholehearted in our families? How are the things we do regularly and the things we value shaping our families? Here we see Paul modeling following Jesus for Timothy, not just telling him about it. Jordan and I have been doing uh, a program with a few students called Grill, a leadership program. And these students are learning leadership, how to walk with Jesus, and, and how that inspires healthy leaders, and exploring where they might go in the next several years all while practicing being young leaders at Attic and Campus Life. And part of this challenge for us, Jordan and I, has been to set an example, right? We could be learning about these leadership things and teaching them about them, but if we aren't practicing them in our, first of all, ministry lives and first of all, family lives, um, then it's kind of like, hey, you're talking about this stuff, but you're not actually doing it, right? It wouldn't be as impactful. Another part of this um, process for the students has been to meet with a mentor once a month, and uh, they just started that, I think it was last month. Um, And Jordan was so incredibly intentional about finding people for each student that he knew their story um, and paired them with a mentor that would connect with their story, or as as he learned about their hopes and goals for the future, connect them with someone that they could see that in for the future. And I was like super impressed by, by how Jordan did this because he wasn't just once again thinking about, oh, we got to find a mentor, connect him with anybody. It was like, we got to find a mentor who's going to help them be more like Jesus in, in next year and five years and 10 years and give them a vision for what their life could look like. Devin, you want to toss that uh, picture up? Next picture up. Um, so this is me and some friends at my parents' house. So growing up, um, my parents loved having people over, not only their friends, but also let, let us, and me and my brothers, and have our friends over, specifically in our teen years. This is a little after that. I think this is, yeah, Lauren, Lauren's in that picture as well. So this is uh, probably, I think, at the end of my college time. And, um, but these are some of those close friends that were over at our house, like pretty regularly. Um, and, and as I thought about this, I was like, maybe it was to keep an eye on us. Like, they loved being the house to, that teenagers hung out at to keep an eye on us to make sure we don't get into too much trouble. Um, but overall, I loved it. Um, and my parents didn't talk about, oh, we love having people over, or, oh, we should do this more often. Like, they just did it. They just had people over. So the value of hospitality in our home was really, really big. And I think now that Lauren and I are, are married and have a place of our own, that is something that carries over for me as well. And it wasn't from, like I said, something they spoke about. It was just something they did. The next big theme we see in Paul's relationship with Timothy is is this idea of just doing it and inviting people into the next thing. It's in Romans that we see things shift. I'm showing you the ropes and now giving you example to follow. And it's an invitation to join Paul in the things that he's been up to this missional work. So in Romans 16, 21, it won't be on the screen, but I'll walk us through it. Paul is sending greetings and personalized messages to people who make up this church in Rome. And here we see Timothy nurturing some of these relationships. So Paul lets the community know that Timothy specifically sends greetings to three named people. 
So they've been up to some stuff together, and, and Timothy is now nurturing these relationships and, and doing ministry in this way, that they've been partnering in the gospel to use Paul's own words. And we all know the difference between being around people and partnering with people. We know the difference between family relationships where we're around one another, and we grew up with one another, compared to the ones where we spend time pursuing the same sort of things, the, the same values and goals together. There's unity in that sort of thing. There's wholeheartedness. Wholehearted would be another way to put it. There's a difference between, especially in family, between being around someone and doing life with someone. Right? We all know the difference. As you think about this in family relationships, I do want to add there's, there's this element of people in our family that uh, don't want to be connected with church, that they don't, um, they aren't walking with Jesus, they don't see eye to eye with us on everything about um, about things, right? Um, and that's not always going to happen. Um, but doing life with them amidst that pro- those, those tensions, those problems we may see in our relationship, it's hard, but it's also beautiful. And I think it's one of the ways that we get to live wholehearted. It's not that everything aligns perfectly and everyone sees eye to eye. It's that in those tensions, we're trying to pursue something beautiful and wholehearted together. And it's a way to show and, and represent Jesus and be Jesus to our whole family. So I want to pose this question to us this morning. How do I live wholeheartedly as a follower of Jesus with whoever is at my table or in my home? How do I live wholeheartedly as a follower of Jesus with whoever is at my table or in my home? For us to be wholehearted, it doesn't mean that we'll be perfect. Once again, there will always be tensions and struggles, and I would argue that I think when we have these moments of tension and struggle, it really pushes us into the kind of person that that we want to be or or kind of naturally are, right? It's not when everything's going great that, like, our our character always shows. Sometimes it does. It's in those moments of tension and difficulty and pain and hurt that kind of the, the true character comes out. So that's a challenge for us this morning, is when those moments of tension and frustration and family life happen? Am I living fragmented in that moment or am I living wholehearted? And God always has an invitation for us to move towards him and his design for family for each one of us. Uh, You want to toss that next picture up for me? For a year, we had foster kids living with us, uh, two siblings um, with Lauren and I, and uh, it was really tough for a whole year, but a lot of growth happened and a lot of learning about what family looks like happened for us in that time. Uh, we learned their family traditions, things that they did as a family. We spoke more Spanish than we usually do um, when it's just the two of us, and we also connected them with our Spanish-speaking and Hispanic friends to help them continue to feel a part of their culture that they grew up with and that their family had, and we began to see our, our table at home both uh, literally and figuratively, right? Being shaped by new ideas of what family looks like, what commitment is, what healing is, and what hope is. And I remember the conversations that Lauren and I would have late at night, hard, deep conversations that we would have never had if we hadn't fostered uh, these two kids. We would never have had to think about what family looks like for uh, others, uh, just different than what family had looked like for us growing up. And in those 12 months, we wrestled with questions like, what does discipleship look like for us as foster parents? How are we or how aren't we representing Jesus to this 8 and 12-year-old that are in our blood family? 
How are we doing that for their biological family? Do they know that we want to see them go home into a more stable and healthy family? Do they know the love of Jesus? Do they know that Jesus has changed our lives? And do they know that Jesus helps families be the best version that a family can be? And for us, do we know that Jesus longs for families to be whole and not broken and not fragmented? Do we remind ourselves that Jesus longs for families to be whole? So as we think about our family relationships and our role in making them whole-hearted families, here's uh, some invitations for us. And I want to put these in kind of statement form uh, as a different kind of challenge for us this morning. So there's three of them. Uh, If you want to toss those on the screen, sweet. Um, So let us be parents or mentors who speak identity and purpose that we would see those around us, younger than us, our kids, our neighbors, and speak life into them, reminding them what they have to offer in our world and building them up. Let us be pace setters for those who need someone to walk alongside of them. Let us be a listening ear, give advice uh, where you have grown personally, and show them that there are people in the world that desperately want them to succeed. Show them that, that you want them to succeed. There's stats on loneliness uh, going around this uh, generation of teenagers that many of you know uh, work with Youth for Christ and something we've been sitting with as our teams uh, hang out with students and connect with them is this idea of loneliness. It's this generation is the most lonely statistically that, um, that we've ever kind of had re- record of, right? Their feelings of loneliness are stronger than any other generation. And some, that might not surprise uh, most of us, but I think what was surprising in this statistic is that about 80 to 90% of those feelings of loneliness diminish. Um, So they feel less lonely, positive, right? Um, When uh, they have five positive adult interactions. So they feel less lonely, more connected um, a day. Sorry, five positive adult interactions a day. Um, So they feel less lonely, more connected, more a part of things, when they have five positive adult interactions every day. So I encourage our church community, be one of those five, right? And I'm sure that, that, that statistic could follow down as we get younger as well, right? The same idea. And lastly, let us be people who partner with our spouse, our kids, our, our siblings, those in our home, to walk with Jesus together so that no one feels alone, So it's not just ideas that we talk about believing or ideas we hear about once a week on a Sunday, but but something that we live out in our lives together. That we would be unfragmented, wholehearted people who are walking with Jesus. So how how do we do this? We can't do this without having the dust of our rabbi on us. So there's this idea... um, with the rabbi culture in Jesus' time that you want to have the dust of your rabbi on you because you were following so closely behind them that it wasn't your own dust on you or other people's dust on you. It was your rabbi's dust in that um, right sandy um, terrain. And it's this idea that for us to live wholehearted lives, in our family specifically, we can't do it alone. Actually, it's impossible to do alone. We can try. And to be people like this, we need to follow our rabbi. You want to toss that next picture up there for me, David? 
the best way for us to live unfragmented lives, to be wholehearted in our families, is to follow Jesus oh so closely. And this is Paul's invitation to Timothy, right? Follow me as I follow Jesus. The disciples lived with Jesus for three years. They were roommates on the road, and uh, we know living with family uh, isn't always easy and smooth, right? Have you ever been camping with your family? Uh, We have. And there's, there's added stresses, it's uncomfortable, and right, like that, that was essentially how Jesus and his uh, disciples lived. They would be in some homes, right, but also picture them camping different places and, and uh, setting up camp and shop different places and moving around, right? So there's extra stress. So Jesus understands what it's like to live with humans, to be around people and form these really tight bonds of chosen family and of, and of biological family. He had that too. Um, so this is an idea that we have together. So when uh, we're in Israel and David led us, we, our last day um, of our study tour, we, we had this moment together where we, David shared with us this idea of we have to be following so closely to Jesus as our rabbi for this story to connect in our lives, for us to live wholehearted, to bring it to this morning. And we got sprinkled on our feet this, this dust, right, to represent and follow us. Do you want to hit the next one as well, Devin? So these are, um, these are my boots that uh, have dust on them. They'll come up in a second. Um, and I still wear those boots some, and I haven't, I haven't cleaned them since, right, to remind me of this idea of dust of our rabbi being on our feet. And so what does that look like in our families? What does that look like? As we wrap up our time together, and I ask uh, our music team to, to come back up here, um, I want us to think about these reflective questions together. This week, as we reflect, um, ask your family the following questions sometime. Have you noticed if I act different at home than I do in other parts of my life, and how? What is the best part of living with me, and what is the worst part of living with me? And I have to be totally honest, I think last week's questions were either exactly the same or um, at least a little different based on what Jordan shared last week. But I have to be honest, I read them last week, um, and I was like, ooh, those are hard. I don't know if I want to ask those questions. Um, Full, full transparency, right? I don't know if I want to sit down with Lauren and say, hey, what's the hardest part of living with me? <laughs> um, but in that, once again, in that tension and in that discomfort, friends, we, we find growth. And we find this place where Jesus meets us in a beautiful moment where we say, I don't know how to go from here. I don't know how to be different in this area. And we go to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us. Rabbi Jesus, teach me how to live wholehearted in my family. Let me pray for us. Rabbi Jesus, we need you. Uh, We can't live wholeheartedly in all of life on our own, and we can't live wholeheartedly in family on our own. So I pray whatever family relationships, uh, Holy Spirit, that you're bringing to mind for us this morning, that you would uh, begin to stir our hearts to mend them, that we'd see some practical things that we can do to sit down at a table together um, and find unity, uh, even in tension and even in discomfort, um, that you would nudge us closer to how you love us, Jesus. Help us to love our family and those closest to us that we share a home with uh, like you love us, God. 
So I pray for uh, us as we go from this place, as we um, practice, Lord, what, we're, what you're teaching us, that we would uh, listen to you um, and we would go from here, yeah, empowered, God, um, be reminded of your story and how much you love us and that that would go into our family lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.